John 4. This is a story about a thirsty woman. Forgive me for talking about a thirsty wo woman when there are so many men here, but I hope you can I identify. She was... Uh, in many ways, removed socially, or she, other people might have thought spiritually from the Lord. I'm sure you all know the story. Uh, the Lord has spoken to us about giving us living water. And this was a woman who came to the well. Jacob's well, it says in verse 6. And Jesus, tired from a journey, sat down by the well. And when she came, we find out she's a Samaritan woman. And he speaks to her, already strange. For this was at a time, number one, when men of Israel would not speak to Samaritans. So she would be normally removed from God in that way. And secondly, she's a woman, and men did not speak to women publicly and he speaks to her and he says will you give me a drink I remember very many years ago there was a wonderful man I met um, he was terribly thin and uh, we met him um, during an outreach and he's, he was sleeping in the streets, obviously a drug addict, and um, very, very, very shy. Too, um, too, too shy for, for me to approach. I knew that, so uh, it was, we were in a public playground, and uh, for, uh, where you could also uh, play basketball and things. So I remember walking around uh, a, a few yards distance from him several times, walking around the field, just walking, until he was comfortable enough for me to say hello. And we made friends. He was very thin. One of the reasons, apart from being a drug addict, was that he had a very fat dog. And uh, he, his dog was so fat that um, actually it was like a pig. It was fairly gross. 
but uh, it had such a fat stomach and such a fat back that the people in the street used to play chess on the dog. <laughs> I joke you not. And uh, I, I, I loved that. I loved that man. And uh, was able to uh, let him know that he was loved by the Lord, but he was still so shy. He was, he was wonderful. We had an addicts meeting in, in an area near him. And uh, this was where it, uh, people used to come. Nobody had a problem believing in Jesus. Um, they'd all heard of someone who'd been healed. So, you know, Jesus was already famous. They just, you know, would, they came to meet him, actually. So they'd come into the room and say, where is he? <laughs> I hear he's here on Wednesdays. And, uh, and that was how we would go on and we would pray for them to meet him. Um, but he was still very shy, this guy, Dai Tao Dai. Very shy. And so sometimes I would do it the other way around. He, he came very early. And he, of all the people who ever came to that addicts meeting, he, he dressed the best. He, he, he put on his suit. He thought it was important. And he came and he helped us wash the floor first and tidy up. And then I was longing to pray for him, but I knew he couldn't quite receive it straight off. So I would say to him, Dai Tao Tai, would you mind very much praying for me? He could do that. So Jesus says to the woman, Will you give me a drink? Smart guy. She said, verse 9, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... If you knew who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This is what the whole conversation is about. A thirsty man and, and, and a thirsty woman and Jesus has sweetly asked her to give him a drink. Where can you get this living water? You've got nothing, she says, with which to draw. Are you greater than our father Jacob? And Jesus tells her these wonderful words. <clears throat> Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Do you know, I've, I've been to Israel. I actually went to this well They were selling the water. Of course, that's what they do at tourist spots. How can you sell the water from the well? <laughs> really dumb, isn't it? 
course, they can't sell living water. It's free. Whoever drinks the water I give you, whoever drinks the water I give him, verse 14, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give you, the water I give him, will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There are many, many psalms about uh, our thirst for the Lord. And uh, I, I have to grit my teeth about some of them. Uh, the reason I, I have to do this is that I'm very bad about getting up in the morning. And um, I, I, when I get up in the morning, I really am, after all these years, still a night bird. And uh, I'd love to say I wake up in the morning and, and happily greet the Lord. I do not. Uh, I'm just... Do I thirst for the Lord? I, that's not how I feel at all, you know. I, I thirst for coffee if I can get it. And, uh, but uh, this is what I've learned. Verse 2 of Psalm 42. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. I've learned that's true but I don't feel it in the morning. So as I get out of bed with gritted teeth, my soul thirsts for you, oh God, I know it's true, because it's true. Let me read you some more Psalms. Psalm 37. There are many, many, many that are similar. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Actually, what we're going to learn is that he is the desire of my heart. I just haven't always believed that. I, uh, I remember a, a famous preacher coming to Hong Kong once. They were always men. And he laid his hands upon me. I knew exactly what he was doing. And he said, Dear Lord, give Jackie the desires of her heart. I knew he was praying that I'd get a husband. So uh, <laughs> I, I opened my eyes and interrupted him. And I said, He has. What a cheek that he, he should pray for me like that. Another time he, he, put, he laid his hands on me. Dear Lord, give Jackie men. <laughs> and I opened my eyes and I said, but I am one in the Lord. He wasn't sure what to make of that. But <laughs> you see, uh, he, he, he was projecting on me what he thought I needed. He was wrong. You see, my desire is for the Lord, 
and my soul will only be satisfied with the Lord. Not that I've always believed that, because I don't feel it. I've believed many times a lie because my flesh is practiced in believing a lie. I desire something else, but the scripture says, my desire is for the Lord. And if you've accepted Jesus as your savior, if he's in his mercy forgiven your sins and put his spirit within you, your desire is for him. That's it. And you will only be satisfied with him. That's it. Psalm 63 says this. There are many of them. Verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. This is truth. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. And Psalm 73. Whom have I heaven, have I in heaven, but you? This is verse 25. And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The scripture tells me that the Lord will give me the desires of my heart, but I do not always know what they are. And many of us here have grown up being quite confused about who we desire or what we desire. And one of the things that the enemy loves to do is to make those of us that have received Jesus love he love he loves to make us feel guilty because that's his job and uh, there's a scripture that says um, your heart is where your treasure is your treasure is where your heart is and so we immediately think oh we condemn ourselves. You know that the Lord is your treasure. You know that. It's just that very often you think that you've been looking for something else. The fact is, this is truth, okay? Because in this story about the woman, it's about truth. And the enemy lies to us. He's been doing for, from the beginning of time. He wants to confuse us about our desires. And oh, if you live in this century, who isn't confused about their desires? <laughs> and, and you have some kind of desire, and then you say, oh, well, I was born like this. God loves me am I as I am, you know, and I must give in to it because that's how I was made. It may be entirely false. 
But you feel what you feel, don't you? That's because the enemy loves to rack us with guilt and fool us with lies. I'm not saying that what you feel isn't real. It is. And I'm not going to talk you out of it. But let's identify truth and identify lies. So Jesus comes to this woman in John 4. And he speaks truth to her, which must have been very, very shocking, because uh, he tells her about the men in her life. Go call your husband and come back, verse 17 of John 4. Oh, I haven't got one. <laughs> You're quite right, he says. When you say you've no husband, you've had five. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is, just said, is quite true. Now, actually, when you think about this woman, how come she's in this state? I don't know. She might not have done that badly. You know, in the scripture, it says if the man dies, his brother's supposed to marry her. Or supposing she couldn't have children, and five husbands in a row said, I divorce thee. Supposing that was, we don't know. We've no idea whether she'd had five husbands in sin or whether they all died. We just don't know. But anyway, it's pretty bad, isn't it? Not that she was necessarily, she was the one that had done wrong. And when people look at you, when people look at my friends, they may quickly think you are the one that have caused your problems. Well, you've contributed to them, certainly. But it may not have started with you. I've no idea about this poor, poor woman. All I know that in this poor woman's story, God saw her and loved her. And that's how God sees us and loves us. Other people have got their own ideas about how many chances you've got. And people, you know, who had less chances with you have done better than you have. You know, that's their opinion. The Lord sees straight through. And why she's landed up living with someone she's not married to, who knows? Who knows? I don't know. But of course, in that time, it was not acceptable. And she's outside society, and she's famous, infamous. And then the Lord speaks to her about who he's looking for. You know who he's looking for? Her. He sees that this thirsty woman is thirsty for worship. And he says, in verse 
21. A time is coming when you will worship the Father. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. Yet a time is coming, verse 23, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks, and the Father seeking her. This woman living in shame, an outcast. And Jesus introduces himself to her. I who speak to you, verse 26, am he. I am the Messiah. Uh, it's such a strange story, isn't it? Because, you know, she, it, she, she doesn't kneel down and confess Jesus as her savior. She rushes off to tell her friends, I found him. I found him. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? He knew her. He knew her. He knew. And you know, I, I love it. I, I love the story particularly of, of another famous or infamous woman who gate crashed the dinner party and washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. How on earth did she have the guts to go to that dinner party? Gate crash it. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I often think, I often think that, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe he'd passed her by and looked at her. And she knew he'd seen her and loved her. Somehow this woman here knew that. Could he be the Christ? And because of what she said, her friends, well, her neighbors, I don't know if they were her friends, uh, believed in him, verse 39, because of her story. He told me everything I ever did. Well, <laughs> they knew quite a lot of what she did. He is a complete stranger, knowing her story. And then they came to him, the Samaritans, in verse 40, and urged him to stay with them. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And I've come to share with quite a number of you today because the Lord is, has been seeking you. And uh, we, we often believe in, in, in Hong Kong that um, it, it's easier for drug addicts to come to know Jesus than almost anyone else because um, they do know, we do know our needs. And uh, come to a point of saying, well, I really, I need to deal with this and then come and live with us. So we have a set up missionary school. I mean, it's marvelous. Everyone else in Hong Kong's too busy working, you know. So it, it's, 
it's amazing because what the Lord is going to do through the problem that some of you have had is because they've seen what the Lord has done for you. They'll believe and then they'll say, Jesus, we believed because of what he said and now we've come to you. We believe for ourselves. And so the Lord uses what has been a thirst in your life or a desire apparently for the wrong thing. Actually, he says, no, it was always for me. It's just you misplaced your desire. You thought it was for something else. I remember walking down the old city streets some years ago. It doesn't exist anymore. They pulled it down. And um, there, was a, there was a lady who sat there. She was about, oh, she was in her 60s. And um, still selling her body. Um, but because she was old and she was part of a, a brothel, um, part of her job was to guard the young ones. They, they guard, guarded them for a while. And after a year or two, they wouldn't need to guard them anymore. There's nowhere to run. And I remember she sat in the street. She's very tiny. Um, and uh, the walled city, the streets were very narrow. And um, there were open sewers. And it was on a slant. Those, the street's only two or three feet wide. So she was sitting on a step in the street. You, two people couldn't walk. And above your head are, are the electric wires because they're all illegal, because um, there was no, it was outside the government uh, law. It was right in the middle of Hong Kong, but outside the law, so people could commit crimes or hide from the law in there. That's why the, there were so many uh, drugs and gangs and so on. And um, she would sit on the step with a, with a stick, and she would poke the stick into the sewer, which ran beneath her feet, to, we had a word about sewage tonight. And uh, the, in the picture that the person had, the, the sewage was under a sewage manhole, and the Lord wanted to change that rubbish for living water. But in the walled city, there's no manhole. They're just open sewers. And she would, she would uh, poke the stick down the sewer to, because if the sewage got backed up, then the rats would run over her feet. So uh, when I passed by her once, she pulled my uh, sleeve. And she said, Puntuta, Puntuta, uh, uh, please, 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 can I live in your house? Can I live in your house? Can I live in your house? I'll do anything 
out with ironing. Let me come and live in your house. What could I say to her? You know, at that time, though, that I had, uh, I don't know, probably 20-something uh, uh, living in the one I was living with and the one we rented next door. This is not where you put a just converted prostitute. Never mind how old she is. You can't do that. But you see, she'd heard what Jesus had done for them, and she was jealous. So why can't I come and live in your house? What I found out later was that her uh, um, brothel keeper had, um, the, the, there was a, a young girl in, in the brothel who, well, not that young, but you can't tell, um, she got pregnant and um, they'd put a, a water pipe down her throat because she refused to sleep with men and she died. And then there was another old one who just fell down on the floor and nobody even knew she died. And so the, this little lady that pulled my sleeve, her, her, her name was Elfrida, she was afraid she would die before she'd lived. Dying is one thing, but if nobody knew who you were, how awful. How can I tell her? Look, I've got 20-something men, and this is not a place for you. I mean, you think that's an excuse for not helping someone? Of course it's not. Of course it's not. There's always room for more in God's kingdom. You, you, you cannot refuse somebody because your house isn't big enough. Of course you can't. I mean, what would you think if Jesus came back tomorrow and you said, sorry, I didn't take her because she's a woman? I mean, you can't. Absolutely cannot. So you, I have to say I avoided her street for a bit um, in case she believed in Jesus. And I know you're shocked, but you see, I didn't want her to believe in Jesus and stay sitting on that step. How could she? How can you believe in Jesus and go on poking sewage down the street and telling the men that the girls they wanted to visit were cheap? Ho-pang, that's what I would hear them say. She's so cheap and she's so pretty. They're not pretty, but they were cheap. I mean, I didn't want her to believe in Jesus and stay there. But you can't, you can't accept that either, can you? You see, you want to know why our people believe in Jesus so quickly? It's because when we tell them Jesus loves them, they know we mean it. We don't say Jesus loves them and leave them. How can we? How can you? Actually, you can't. If you have a, a home and they have none, it doesn't mean anything. That's why they believe in Jesus so quickly. And they all knock on my door and say, my friend believed in Jesus and got off drugs in your house, so I'm going to believe in Jesus and live in your house. And they, they know we'll mean it. <laughs> and we do. And they do. That's how our family's grown. Not a government institution, it's a home.
so sweet. But I did see that she, she was thirsty for life. So eventually we found a little cupboard. She's very small. And I got some people to come and help me pray for her. And when we undressed her, we found three bruises, large bruises, down her back. That was her payment for selling her body in her 60s. Three injections a day. Because all the veins in her arms and legs and throat were used up. And thighs. And then it would be the, the back. Later on, there is a few more places, but. So she lived, and she came to know Jesus. And just like everybody else, we prayed with her for the power of the Holy Spirit. She received the gift of a new language. It's called the gift of tongues. It's for private prayer, by the way, uh, not for public use in a gathering like this, um, unless somebody speaks it clearly and somebody else interprets. And so that's how she got off drugs. And uh, our, we don't do cold turkey, by the way. We don't give medication, but when our people pray in tongues and we pray with them, there's always someone with them for 10 days, every hour, every minute, within touching de distance. Then they, can, then they go to sleep. They can eat, sleep. Some of them can swim on day three and play football. Um, after 20 years of heroin, I mean, it's pretty good. Uh, it, it's not, you know, we always say it's the easy bit. Of course, it's not that easy because we, we, we need six people a day to sit with them for four hours each, praying in tongues, you know, so you can imagine there's, there's quite a lot of tired people. Uh, but uh, this is a privilege to we break bread as well, by the way, six times a day during that getting off drugs bit. If they're asleep, we don't wake them up for the breaking of bread, but otherwise we do. I, I mean, it's one of the things Jesus told us to do, so we should do it. Um, so that, that's fun. Archbishop of Canterbury came and visited us once. while, And the new boy, who's on day two, broke bread, it was cream crackers and grape juice, with the Archbishop of Canterbury and prophesied over him. <laughs> Quite right, you know. I mean, this is how it's supposed to be, isn't it? You know, <laughs> we're all equal. It isn't the great man of God praying for the poor addict. It's the, it's the redeemed addict bringing words of encouragement to a man who needed so sweet and so in the kingdom of god we all end up the same forgiven sinners those who can share with one another and encourage one another but what i want to do now is to give you some ideas about where this <clears throat> deception about our uh, desires uh, came from 
Okay. I want to go to uh, the beginning of scripture, which is in Genesis. And uh, the name of the garden was? Okay. Now, Eden means delight. And so this is the garden which means delight. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, right at the beginning of time, there were two trees in the garden. We, we'll, we'll quickly go through this. In chapter 2 of Genesis, um, and you'll see that these trees were good for food and pleasing to the eye. Later on, we're going to uh, uh, see that the tree that was going to bring death was also good for food, they thought, and pleasing to the eye, they thought. Anyway, in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two trees. This... Uh, whole story of the Bible is about three trees. And well, what we're going to learn is that because man chose to eat from the wrong tree, there was to be a tree of Calvary upon which the Lord of life would be crucified that you and I could eat of the tree of life, eternal life, which was barred from man and woman after they chose the wrong tree in the garden. And this is how they chose the wrong tree. The Lord said to them in chapter 2, verse 16, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you mustn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, isn't it amazing that God says you're free? I don't know what rules you have in your houses. I, I, I did hear... Uh, our brother just now suggesting that if you wanted to go out for a fag, you could. Um, but uh, uh, it might be in your house that you're not allowed to smoke. Is that true? Yeah, okay. In our houses, it's not true. Therefore, people want to smuggle in cigarettes. And... Yes, they're just like you, our guys. You know, they also want to smuggle in cigarettes. And I don't believe you don't want to. Uh, the thoughts never occur to you. <laughs> I often say, if we banned egg tarts, people would start smuggling in egg tarts. Because there is something in man and woman 
that wants what is forbidden. And this is exactly where the enemy got man and woman. And this is how he got at man and woman. He got them to doubt that God was good. And he got them to God is keeping something from me. And that's exactly what most of us believe. John 10.10, 10, God says, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life abundantly. The thief has come to lie and cheat and steal and destroy. What does the average person in England believe? The exact opposite. Well, it's not that I don't believe in Jesus. I do, but I'll have more fun with the devil and I'll turn to Jesus two days before I die. Yeah? Somewhere we've got this perverted understanding that God is going to keep the fun things from us. Do you know, there used to be a horrible poster in Hong Kong which is supposed to scare people into believing in Jesus. And it, and, and it was like this. It was, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And there's a miserable little man on this eternal life road. But broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there's a whole lot of people rollicking along drunkenly to destruction. That's exactly what we think. And it's a stupid poster because it's inaccurate. <laughs> we think, can't have sex if I, if I elicit sex, if I follow Jesus. Well, that's pretty crummy. So, you know, let, let, <laughs> let me have a good time. And then I, I, I'll get serious with the Lord. Uh, I mean, you, you would if you knew when you were going to die. The problem is you don't. Uh, and we actually believe completely the opposite. We believe the devil. God is keeping fun from you. Your friends are going to have much more fun. It's a complete lie. And we fall for it most of the time. In fact, the scripture says, he has brought me into a broad place. I tell you, when you follow Jesus, you have more fun than anyone else. Why was it the only thing he said you cannot eat? They insisted on eating. The only, they'd got everything else. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, you can have some of this and It's if you eat this one, the only thing you can't eat, you'll surely die. And so the enemy comes in chapter 3. You will not surely die, says the enemy in verse 4. God knows. By the way, it's not the woman's fault there was sin. I don't know if you come from a church that thinks there was. Uh, it's the woman's fault. It was Adam. God had told Adam that 
they would die, not Eve. So, you know, not that she wasn't guilty, it was just that she was deceived and he was outright sinning. No, no, it's true. Anyway, I mean, women got a bad rap from certain theologians, but it really wasn't her fault, because Adam should have been looking after her. Anyway, there we are. There we are. Your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God. So what comes into her mind is she's, going to, she's about to believe a lie. Here's the truth. I'm standing on truth, okay? I believe in the Lord. I'm having a great time. I'm a full-time gardener and my food is free. And uh, I do not have to earn my living. And I have a good relationship with my husband. And I, I speak to the Lord in the cool of the evening. What more do I want? Truth. Faith. And then comes along the enemy and says, he's keeping something from you. <laughs> and you'll be like him. You'll know good and evil. Who wants your kids to know evil? Nobody wants a, a child to lose its innocence, do they? Nobody wants a child to learn that people rape and incest, and beat, and cheat, and starve. You want a child to escape all of that. God never meant us to know evil. He wanted us to remain innocent. And she fell for the devil's lies. You will not surely die. And the Lord had said, you will surely die. But he said, you'll be like God. And so man and woman chose and were deceived. She thought it was desirable. And it was a cheat desire. And this is where the enemy has tried to foul us up from the beginning of creation. So don't be so hard on yourself. If you've been cheated and the enemy has said, you desperately desire this, you desire a drink, you desire that, don't be too hard on yourself. That's what he's been doing from the beginning of time. It's his job. The truth is, my soul thirsts for the Lord. Only he can satisfy. That's the truth. It's not what I feel all the time. Do you get that? Sometimes you've got to pronounce the truth before you feel like it, which is why I said just now, start forgiving some people before you mean it. Because you have to. You don't get forgiven if you don't forgive. So you, you, you've got to start by saying, I do, before you mean it. And then you'll be able to. Because that's how he forgave you. You know what the problem is? The problem is called, you, you might never have heard this before. It's very plain in the Bible, but it's hardly ever spoken about. It's called 
coveting. It's the 10th commandment. And it is the commandment that gets us wrong. I, I won't get you to look at it now because there are too many verses to look at. But Paul, in Romans chapter 7, um, he, was a, he was a pretty good Pharisee, you know? I mean, he, he was. He actually was. He said, you know, practically faultless. Do you know what convicted him of sin, Paul? Nine commandments he could keep. The one about not coveting convicted him of sin. Wanting something that God had not got for him. It's an amazing scripture, that. Coveting means you should not go after something. It, it, tempting is fine. If you're tempted, it's fine. If you're tempted after somebody's wife, it's fine. Just don't go any further than that, right? You, that there's no, I wish she was mine, or why isn't she mine, or what shall I do to make her mine, or, you know. Because you, we need to believe God will withhold no good thing from those that love him. Most of us don't believe it at all. You know, I know so many unhappy missionaries who actually think God's putting them through tests all the time. I mean, what rubbish. He does allow trials. He's not putting us through tests to refine us. It's not true. The world's got enough troubles, honestly. God is good. He's prepared good things. Let, I'll read you two verses from Romans. I don't like Romans on the whole. It's too hard a book for me, but I'll read you two of these scriptures. And chapter 7 is a pretty good chapter because chapter 7 is the result of eating the mixed fruit tree. Do you know what the mixed fruit was? Don't eat this tree fruit because it's the Fruit of what? Fruit of the knowledge of good. Okay, mixed fruit. Okay. Now, most of us have got mixed fruit in our head. Okay. That's what Romans 7 is about. How come I can't do the thing I want? And I want the thing I shouldn't do. Who's going to save me? It's a mixed fruit chapter. Yes? So that, that'll help you to understand Romans 7. Mixed fruit. And it's a result of eating mixed fruit. Which we've all eaten. And we agree with the devil. Right! I desire things that I shouldn't and I can't do the good that I want. Stop believing the lies of the enemy and say, Holy Spirit, come and set me free. I do desire the Lord. I don't desire those other things. I just think I do in my flesh, especially during withdraw withdrawal, says I really do. But it's not true. You can't live with mixed fruit. That's why it's so awful being a drug addict. And you don't want to think about mixed fruit. 
Do you know what we call heroin in Chinese? Heroin is called Miss White. And she is an enticing woman. And she says to our men, I am beautiful. And I will satisfy you. I will give you great delight. She's quite good at it. She's very seductive. And he says, oh, just, yes, I'll once and he has her and she's she, she's okay she's not that good but maybe next time it'll be better and then she costs too much and then he hates her until she comes round again that's a mixed fruit Romans 8 is the answer to mixed fruit. Who will set me free from this terrible, I do this and I don't want to, and I don't do this and I want to. It, it's the mixed fruit. You want to get set free from mixed fruit? Lord, I desire truth in the inward parts. I do desire you. By your Holy Spirit, come and fill me and wash me so that instead of habitually, and it's a habit, following what the enemy says and believing what he says. I want you to believe that the Lord is good. This is what else it says. I'll just read you the two Romans verses because they might help some people. <sighs> Chapter 7, verse 7. I would not have known what sin was except through the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had, had not said, you shall not covet. That, that's where Paul got convicted, he was a sinner. Through, you shall not covet. Covet means wanting something that God hasn't given you. That was David's problem, right? David had all the women he ever wanted. He, had, he was king. He had all the riches. And Nathan the prophet came to him and said, look at what the Lord has given you. And he would have given you so much more. Why did you take the one little lamb that wasn't yours? And this is what the Lord says to you. Believe he is good. He's not withholding the fun things from your life. It's not that if you really get serious about Jesus, you're going to be miserable. <laughs> Before I really knew Jesus, I knew some very miserable-looking Christians. And, you know, they used to come to me. This was before I went to Hong Kong. And I felt backed up into a corner. And they said, uh, do you know the Lord? And I looked at them and thought, oh, no. <laughs> and they said, ah, oh, but when you know the Lord, you'll change. And I looked at them and thought, oh, no. <sighs> I mean, that's, I'm sorry, that's, you know, just because they looked so unhappy. And none of them wore makeup, you know, and it just, oh, 
dear. It just looked so grim and hard work. The Lord is good. Here's another verse. I might get you to learn it before we pray. It was you, I believe, just now, who shared such a good verse that you'd learned, wasn't it? You've got scripture in you, that's brilliant. That's brilliant, and that'll hold you. Well done. Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say if God is for us who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, <clears throat> along with him, graciously give us all things? Do you think you could learn verse 8? If you've got someone who can't read sitting beside you, would you read it to them until they can get most of the understanding? Do you think we could do this for a minute and a half? Learn verse 8? 20, sorry. Learn verse 32 of chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I'm going to test you in a minute, so learn it. Galatians 3.13. Here is the third tree in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law after man and woman thinking that their desire was for something that God had kept from them. After they sinned, they brought curses on themselves. And they were out of the garden, and they were, the tree of life was barred from them. But in the last, last chapter of the Bible, there are trees for healing of the nations. There's a river and there's the invitation right at the end of scripture, come whoever is thirsty. Now I'm not really making that invitation to you because I know most of you are living in places where they're asking you that all the time. This is what I'm saying to you. Do you know who makes the last invitation? In 20, Revelation 22, 17. It's the, the spirit, the Holy Spirit and the bride, that's you and me. We get to do the inviting, having been the ones who've tasted of the water of life. Right at the end of scripture, we are the ones that say to other people, come and taste. We're representatives of the bride, whether you're male or female. That's who we are in the scripture. You and I, now, I, I, I've just told you stories uh, mainly about women, but uh, we have so many men who, through the grace of God, have come to know his love. 
But I know that the key to your whole life is going to be believing. Adam and Eve ended up believing a lie. Because the enemy said, did God really say? Oh, oh, he must have been keeping some. We could be like him if we. And they, they forfeited that wonderful place in the garden. And I want to bring all of you, because I believe there's hardly anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, back to the place where you say, I don't want to eat mixed fruit anymore. And, and to keep just having such a guilty conscience about my wrong desires and my wrong feelings and hoping that somebody's going to say your desires aren't wrong, they're natural, you know, and all that stuff. And you're getting such a muddle with the mixed fruit. <sighs> Dear Lord, I want to believe truth. You will withhold no good thing from me because I'm your child. You gave your son for me. I believe that in this life, it isn't just pie in the sky when we die. It's in this life you will give me all things that I need to satisfy me. That's what I want to pray with you about. Would you like to pray that? Galatians 3.13 says we are redeemed from the curse that we brought upon ourselves when we listened to a lie and said, oh, I don't really desire the good things. I desire the bad things. And you beat yourself up forever. It's horrid. I want you to enjoy a life. I mean, enjoy it. You know, just don't tread water until you go to heaven. Enjoy, 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 enjoy. If you believe that he said, I've come to give you abundant life, please don't join what most people believe is that Jesus didn't really come to give us abundant life, but really less than everyone else, but we're gonna get heaven, so it's okay. <laughs> I've had more fun than anyone I know. You think I've suffered or given up anything? Well, I've given up quite a few of my friends' weddings, that's true, because I wasn't able to get to them. Neither was I able to get to my father's death or my mother's death. I was just not there. But they both came to the Lord before they died, so I've got eternity to see them. And think of all the other people who've come to life because I left my mother and father. You think I've suffered? I've gained. And I want you to be able to believe again. Believe. He is good. He's for you. He's not beating you up. But he may have allowed your addiction to get you into a place where you can enjoy God's love and truly be satisfied. So please, stop the guilty. And, and, and by the way, you mustn't. Self-pity, not attractive, so drop it. Okay. You know, you may have had a horrible life, but you know, 
the, the Lord turns the most awful lives into the most great blessings. So you're going to end up the winner. Okay, stand. How about the worship team? We probably don't need you all. Just uh, that's uh, the keyboard player and guitar player and one voice would do. Lord, we, we're terribly sorry. We've believed in Miss White. We thought we wanted her. We're sorry we've believed in a lie. And we're sorry we've spent our lives eating mixed fruit. We're really sorry. And we don't always feel we want the right things. When the scripture says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be, some of us think, oh, oh dear, I'm, I'm so awful. Lord, forgive us. We've got so muddled up with what we want. But we want to trust that my desire is really for you. I want to trust. My, my soul is only satisfied in you. I want to trust what the scripture says, that there is nothing else on earth I desire but you, because you put that desire in me. So I ask now that you'll wake up this desire for you in every man and woman and child and teenager in this hall tonight that we'll be able to believe the truth, which is that we do desire you. You've made us to desire you, and we will be satisfied in you. And then in your mercy, you actually give us everything else as well. Whether it's the right wife, or the right job, or the right home, or whatever's going to be right for us. We want to thank you, Jesus, that you said your Father loved you because you willingly came to die. Because you and he had decided before the beginning of time this was the way that he would redeem us from having believed in a lie and living a mixed fruit life ever since. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross. And although we condemn ourselves, we know you don't. And we want to get to Romans 8. We want to get past mixed fruit where we 
live our lives beating ourselves up and then believing the enemy again. We want to be able to say, the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ has come to give me freedom so I can believe in the truth. So, let's worship a song together and then we're going to ask the spirit of the Lord to come upon us and bring freedom. And the freedom in the first instance is not freedom from drugs. It's freedom to believe he is good. And then our desires will start to be truthful. <laughs>